0: Hey everyone, before we get to my interview with Dr. David Murray, I wanted to tell you about a way you could win some of the books that we'll be discussing in this interview today. Uh, if you share this interview on Facebook or Instagram, uh, you can enter your name uh, into a drawing uh, to win books. You just need to be sure and tag RYM into those uh, posts. Uh, You could also leave a review of this podcast, either at Apple iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. However you listen to this, I would obviously help the podcast but it also would put your name into the entry uh, to well, hopefully win uh, some of these books uh, so as you'll see it's a companion set it's a two volume uh, book series that uh, Dr. David Murray has written and uh, they're very excellent books very helpful one written for parents one written for teenagers we'll be discussing those in greater detail in just a minute uh, but we want to be able to offer that for our listeners periodically when a publisher is willing to do that so Crossway has graciously agreed to uh to do this for us uh, so we hope that it's a way uh, that will benefit you Uh, here's my interview with dr david murray hope you guys enjoy it welcome back to another episode of the local youth worker Uh, this is episode uh, 312 and today's guest is dr david murray dr murray welcome
1: thank you 312 episodes that's quite a triumph
0: <laughs> it is it's kind of it's kind of shocking yeah as oh, I kind of well as I said done. that it's like that has to be a mistake
1: <laughs> <laughs> and well done you are persevering <laughs> to the end
0: <laughs> uh, for, for better or for worse I guess um, and and I should say welcome back uh, you were actually on episode 277 um, so it's good to have you back on and um, I was we, we were talking a little pre-recording and, and I had a little bit of a bio to read on you but then as we were talking pre-recording there's been some transition going on in your life uh, so why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit about what you're
1: doing now yes yeah, sure uh, God's rewriting my own story week by week <laughs> that's right yes I, I've been serving as professor of Puritan Reform Seminary for 13 years and throughout that time from time to time the lord really laid in my heart a desire to return to pastoral ministry and never quite got there for one reason or another and things just didn't fit but uh, last, er, yeah, earlier this year i was asked to preach for a local church whose pastor had left and i was glad to do that i could do it for three months and i loved it and they must have liked me so um eventually they asked hey would you be interested in a call here i said well if i was called i would certainly consider it and so over the summer months that's what happened they called me and by god's grace i was able to accept it with enthusiasm and joy and so now i am i'm a pca pastor serving in a local Christian Reformed church here, just south of Grand Rapids. It's called First Byron CRC, and uh, I love it. I've just, uh, the, the pastoral saddle just feels so comfortable. It feels like home, mm-hmm. and I love the people here, and I'm just so thankful to God for the opportunity to be on the, you know, as it were, the front line again, sure. and uh, back in the battle. Mm-hmm.
0: And and at the time of this recording, you said just this past Sunday you were installed? Is that correct? Yeah, is it? yeah.
1: Okay. It's, it's taken a bit of time with different ecclesiastical hoops we had to jump through, and then my father passed away, and that canceled the previous installation. So yeah, just last Sunday it was installed, and uh, this is my first official week in hmm. pastoral ministry again.
0: Well, we, we definitely appreciate you making time in your first <laughs> pastoral week to come on on the podcast. Um, Yeah. Those who listened to the the first episode know that you're an author of uh, multiple books. Uh, One of those on episode 277 was reset that we talked about. I would encourage people to go back and listen as you share some of your story in that episode, as well as uh, this book, uh, reset which has been very helpful for me personally and I know to to many others. Uh you you're also married and is it Shona is am I pronouncing That's right yeah Shona? Yes married October. to Shona
1: for fifth I oh, don't know how long is that I better get this right. I think it's <laughs> twenty nine years. Yeah, twenty nine years.
0: I can edit that out if you need me to
1: <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't listen to me anyway. Okay. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, And and Dr. Murray is also set to be the main preacher at RYM's Youth Theater Training uh, in January in Nashville, uh, Lord willing, uh, 2021. Um, So hopefully that's going to continue to happen, Uh, but he'll be there. There's other speakers, Micah Edmondson, Scott Sauls, and Nancy Guthrie, uh, as well as some others that will be joining us. Um, But I reached out to Dr. Murray uh, to talk about his two newest books uh, through Crossway entitled why am I feeling this way? And why is my teenager feeling like this? Both are discussing anxiety and depression in the life of of teenagers. Uh, One book is aimed specifically at teens and one aimed at parents. And obviously this is such an appropriate time for those books to be coming out as this season seven of this podcast is entitled COVID Discipleship and talking to youth workers of how they're seeking to be faithful uh, in the midst of this pandemic. But before we discuss those books, I'd love to hear just how you've been processing this COVID season specifically. What what has the Lord been teaching you during this time?
1: Yes, it's been it's been hard. The the seminary closed in March along with most other educational institutions and our semester just sort of petered out with the Zoom classes and It was disappointing for students, especially who were graduating. They didn't really get the, the, you know, to cross the finish line with glory. So I felt sorry for them in that. The, my, my own daughter had COVID in the summer and she was, it wasn't much for her. It was just a runny nose, maybe lacking taste and smell for a couple of days. We were quarantined with her. We didn't really take any precautions at all. We just thought, well, you know, we're all going to get it, so let's just do it. Mm. But none of the rest of us got it, or if we did, we were asymptomatic. We're not sure, but um, the 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 girl, we felt sorry for the girls, our, our teen girls, because, again, their school year just, it just sort of faded away, and it was due to my, my, one of my girls' senior year, so she didn't really have a graduation. But I think, I think the biggest impact Um, It was obviously in the local church. I went from preaching to a church of maybe 700 to five, you know, for two months, Mm. um, which was just the weirdest experience. Uh, It was live streamed, but that was just, oh, it was agony at times. Mm. The having to imagine, you know, people are there. And uh, it really taught me the value of just embodied gathering. Of God's people and the importance of it more than ever before I think it's taught a lot of Christians I'm sure there are some who have taken advantage of and think hey you know online church no big deal let's just keep doing that but I think most Christians have really come to value Christian community a lot more and I think also it's opened a lot of opportunities because there's been so much fear I think there's there's going to be a huge mental health toll from this mm-hmm. that has not been factored into most decisions by government. And so I think that's a great opportunity for the church to bring the gospel to bear and to point people to sources of peace and joy. So I think there are negatives, but I think there are positives too.
0: Yeah, and I like how you said that. It's it's going to be a great opportunity for the church to to reach out and show the love of Christ to others. And really that serves as a good segue into talking about your, your latest books, because this could be a very helpful resource uh, to put in the hands of, of uh, many churchgoers. As I said, the titles are, why is my teenager feeling like this? And why am I feeling like this? And they're both available through Crossway. And so just to, to start things off, why did you see a need for a two volume book mm. or these companion books?
1: Yep. Well, when the publisher asked me to write this, they were getting a lot of requests from churches and pastors for a Christian resource for teen anxiety. And so we agreed, I agreed to, to try and write that book. And as I was doing it, I just realized more and more that this isn't going to work without the parents being involved. and Or, or you know, a pastor or a mentor, some, some guide, to help a teen, because I, I really think it's virtually impossible for a depressed and anxious team to recover on their own. Mm. And yet the, the message is different to both. You know, the team needs to hear something, the, the guide needs to hear something else. So we eventually decided that we'd try and do that. We'd try and create some companion volumes, but could be used together. So that each chapter, although it's different content, um, they, they, they fit together very well. And the, the ideal, although I'm not sure how often that will work with teens, but the ideal is teen will read a chapter, parent read a chapter, talk, go through the questions, the exercises, go into chapter two. That's the ideal world. The real world is probably a bit messier than that. <laughs> but you know, even if they don't go through it together, at least the parent has a, has a general idea about how to support, encourage, guide, and the teen feels, and this is very important, the teen feels that their parent understands, mm-hmm. that their 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 parent gets a, a sympathetic and, and is on board with helping them. So they're not isolated and they don't feel like they are failures. So that was really the, the thinking behind two volumes.
0: Mm-hmm. and it's so helpful i love the the opening vignettes that you have in, in each chapter just stories of uh you know various characters and kind of what they're dealing with and i think that's just not only helpful uh to, to just kind of classify what they're going through but also kind of put words to some of what teenagers are feeling and they might not even know how to to vocalize and say yes that's exactly how, how i feel so i like yeah. that that structure
1: yeah i think the the when we're older we don't you know we like information maybe in more bullet form data systematic i think when you're a young person though you story just connects a lot better maybe it's true of all ages i don't know but certainly for teams the, the, to to connect with them via a story seems to do them a lot more good than just coming at them with a bunch of information and facts and data overload so absolutely yeah i think one of the, the the messages I've got back from readers is the sense of oh I'm not weird. Lots of other people are like this, and therefore I'm, I'm nor This is normal abnormality in an abnormal world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and kind of going back to what you said earlier um, about parents being involved, really in, in helping this process. You say in your book one helpful statement that you make is the importance of parents talking about anxiety and depression in the home to ensure the students that they're they're not alone in this and that is such an important message i mean as you just gave testimony for them to hear about saints of old a a question i have with that is is there a balance here of uh, can we make the mistake about talking about it too much in a sense to where we're talking about anxiety depression all the time and before we know it now all of a sudden (laughs) our children have it
1: i think there is a degree of that you're right the there is a lot of debate over whether the very high rates, the increased rates of teen anxiety and depression is more is, is the problem increasing or is the detection increasing, the willingness of people to go and actually get help increasing? I think there's probably a bit of both, but those who have been involved in this work for a long time would not deny that the problem itself is getting greater. So I think there is always a danger of us being oversensitive. And I think one of the messages is that we do need to train our teens to be a wee bit more resilient. Um, But I think the way to that is still discussion and talking. And yeah, it's not to make it a topic of daily conversation, let it Mm -hmm. dominate life. But I think it is important for parents to discuss it before it actually happens. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, Because, you know, most teen anxiety, the teen suffers in silence for too long before they ever surface it. Whereas if they know, hey, this is the kind of thing my mum and dad have talked about at the table or in the car over many years, anxiety, depression is not a, an unfamiliar word to us. Then that definitely opens up opportunities. In fact, it's quite funny. My I've got a little seven-year-old boy, and he thinks he thinks the whole world is anxious and depressed because <laughs> at times it's all he hears me talking about on the phone. You know, people phone me. And they always say after us, what was that about, Dad? And I said, well, what do you think? And he'll go, anxiety, depression. Yeah, anxiety, depression.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think you bring up such a good point that to to introduce this to our children uh, before they, you know, get well along in, in the just development stages that they realize, okay, this is something my parents have talked about and I'm not abnormal, that this is something that's, you know, to be expected, as you said, it's a normal part of an abnormal world. Hmm. Uh, so now I think you bring up a very good point. Um, there was something along these lines. I read an article recently in the New York times that was entitled is the lockdown making you depressed or hmm. are you just bored? <laughs> and I thought that was such an interesting title, but but first I'd love for you to talk to us about boredom a little bit. You know, we're living in a culture that idolizes entertainment, idolizes happiness, comfort, pleasure, and it seems like we want to fill every second of our lives with with some of that. So maybe talk a little bit about boredom, but then how do we d- differentiate between boredom and depression?
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of things going on in the lockdown one of the actually, I just recently read an article that said some of the indicators are that it's been good for teen mental health, and I was like, What? <laughs> and the reasoning was, and it's not true of all teens, but there, there was a group of teens who were under enormous pressure, um, in terms of all the commitments, not just schoolwork, sports at church, community service, volunteering, you know, all the things they have to do today to get into college. And like all that stopped apart from the schoolwork and even that was scaled back, exams were canceled and whatnot. And therefore that group for sure have actually benefited from the mental break that, that lockdown has given them. But I, I think the majority of kids have, have not done well. And it's mainly because of disconnection from relationships, and they've been left alone. As you say, you know, bored, no activities, no sports, no socialising. Um, in fact, it's it's almost worse than boredom because they have their phones and they've got their devices and their their computers. So actually, boredom is virtually non-existent today mm. for teens, and that's that's a bad thing. Mm. The 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 mind, any human mind, but especially the teen mind needs downtime. It needs quiet time, it needs still, it needs um, time when it's not stimulated and active. And it needs that not just to rest, but to repair connections. And when we are filling every waking moment with devices, with stimulation, with information, then we're really, we're we're actually damaging our, our brains. We're were stopping them from being renewed and repaired, so I would encourage teens to just embrace some boredom. Mm. You know, I think one of the great pieces of advice that I'm trying to take to heart a bit more is, you know, when you go out walking or running or exercising or just being outside, to leave the earbuds behind, and in fact, to leave the phone behind, and just force oneself to be with oneself, mm. and, and with God, and with this creation. And does that mean that it won't be so interesting? Yes, but in the long run, what you're building is not just the ability to be bored, but the ability to actually think for yourself again.
0: Yeah, such a good point. I mean, as you said, it's virtually impossible for us to be bored in this culture because we're just cramming so much into, you know, the, the nooks and crannies of life of every little second. And so, yeah, we haven't, you know, exercised these other muscles, like you're saying, to kind of develop just reflection and uh, just sitting and, like you said, being with oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love how you, you bring up in in the book, uh, just the the spectrum of how Depression and anxiety can manifest itself in so many different ways. And you, you talk about, you know, the spiritual aspects, physical, relationally, mental, cognitive causes that can all, uh, you know, um, be a part of creating anxiety, depression in our life. And, and one of the things that you mentioned on, on page 21 is is satanic attack. And, and I love that you listed this in, in your book because it seems that sometimes we as Christians we can shy away from this kind of, of talk or, or seeing this as a, a rude issue you know, I think of kind of the old c s Lewis quote of "We can make a mistake by talking too much about the devil or not at all yeah. and it seems like you know the, the, um, definitely going more on the spectrum of not talking about it at all so how, how can we discern if our depression or anxiety or our children is a, is a result of you know spiritual attack or warfare? Yeah.
1: I, I think there are two areas to distinguish there. One is every time somebody gets anxiety or depression, it's an opportunity for the devil to step in and kick us when we're down. And there's mm. no one who loves doing that more than him.
0: Mm.
1: So even if the cause of depression was not a spiritual attack, it's always an opportunity for it. Cause we're a bit weak where our defenses are down, we don't have the same resolution. And therefore, yeah, the devil just, you know, comes in all guns blazing when we're in the depths or when we're extremely worried and anxious, fearful. He loves that. But yeah, I think there there are obviously times when the actual depression anxiety is a, as an all out frontal assault by the evil one now we don't want to say all depression anxiety is like that Um, there are some churches that would say that and if you're all as demonic i I don't um I, i actually think this is quite rare um i don't think the devil taking advantage of it is rare i think that's very common but in terms of a a devil caused depression anxiety that was him that started all yes it happens but I, do, I don't think it's that common, especially the ones I've certainly experienced and encountered today. How do you know if it is though or isn't, um, his to begin with, I think um, you want to try and, like my wife's a doctor and she, I'm a wee bit of a hypochondriac and she'll often say to me, David, common things are common. You know, you don't need to go to the worst possible case scenario, you know, the one in a million. It's not likely. Common things are common. So I think I would usually start with the common things and and rule out as you go along. So you look at, you know, physical causes, emotional causes, mental, social, relational and, you know, as you rule out, as you say, well, there's not that, there's not that, or we've tried remedies for this and it hasn't worked, things like that. I think that's one of the ways that we can get to, okay, we're, we're facing here that this is a satanic attack. But I think as well, the satanic attack, it can be so obvious, it's unmistakable. I, 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 again, I think this is extremely rare. I think the devil's much more subtle it comes much more in disguise than in a full frontal attack. But yeah, I mean, I've met people in depression, especially not so much anxiety, but depression, who, you know, the presence of evil is incredibly close to them. They would testify that you can actually even sense it. And therefore, again, you, you wouldn't then start when, well, let's try medication, let's try, you know, improving your health, things like that, no this needs prayer, this needs fasting, this needs the church to pray. Um, but I, I, again, I would just, I, I don't want anyone listening to this to run to that. I, I think we have to recognize that common things are common, rare things are rare.
0: Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Like you said, no one running to that. I think it's, it's great to nuance that, to bring that up. and And again, just as your book lays it out, there's so many different Factors, and I, I should have—I made a mistake of not having the book sitting right beside me as I'm, I'm doing this interview. But I know there, there was one character that you outlined in there of just kind of exercise and walking through the factors of okay, let's get some kind of physical activity, let's get outside a little bit, and and it's so helpful just to walk the reader through. Okay, these could be some some possible causes sure. from what you're feeling, and I just think of a parent having that tool to to walk alongside a child. Um, and I know kind of along this line of, of spiritual warfare, um, you get into, you know, you know th- there could be a reality of a child not being saved. And mm-hmm. I love that you actually share your own story. Uh, this character named doomed Dave on page 41, and that's, that's you in there. So maybe just talk a little bit about that, giving advice of how to come alongside a child who's, who might not be a believer as they're wrestling with this.
1: Yeah. So I think the, Obviously, especially Christian parents have raised their kids in the church. They have this, they have, they have a good hope, expectation that their children grow into faith. They come to know Christ for themselves. But we shouldn't presume that that is always the case. And sometimes when I've been speaking with parents of teens who are going through depression, anxiety, it's really clear to me that they actually don't know the gospel. And maybe their sin, especially say the sin of pornography is causing a lot of the anxiety and depression. Uh, But the parents don't want to face that fact or maybe they they don't know actually oftentimes about the sin that's going on in the background. But but, but we have to face that reality. We're not going to, if somebody is sinning, um, if someone is living a double life, someone is exposing themselves to violence and pornography, uh, there's no amount of medication or exercise or diet or counseling that's going to put that right. Uh, there's only one thing that puts that right and that's repentance and renewed faith or new faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's a hard discussion to have with the parents. I haven't found it hard with the person mm-hmm. because sometimes it's a relief like the you know they've been trying to be this christian their parents think they're a christian their church thinks they're a christian but they know deep down there's no power against sin there's no desire to be free from sin and this is like oh, you know I, at last i can actually speak this out and say look i i don't know christ i don't pray to him as a person i might do a traditional habit but um I don't love God, I don't love holiness, I know that's, that's serious, it's wrong, it means I'm going to hell, but at least I can now talk about it. And, and then we have such an amazing opportunity to bring forgiveness of that guilt and power over that weakness into their lives.
0: Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I mean, it it is interesting. And that's kind of been the case in my own life as well, that you, as you talk with the parents about this, you can sense a defensiveness. uh, Mm -hmm. But then as you talk to a student who may be struggling and might not be a believer that there is, uh, when when they see it's a safe place and an open place where they can voice doubts and struggles, it it is kind of a relief. They don't have to live this this kind of lie that they've been living under. Um, So I I think you're exactly right.
1: Yeah, it, was in, it was in my own story, uh, you know, I, I kind of like what I've just described there, but eventually in my own life, I just, I was living an openly worldly life, my parents knew fine well, I'd left the home and was just going my own way, and yet I was miserable, I think I described in the book, the fears that, you know, overwhelmed me, the darkness, the depression, and and the gospel changed all that. Um that it took away my guilt, it took away my fear, it gave me peace, it gave me joy. Never known anything like it. The fer- forgiveness of sins is just like the most incredible experience. Mm. And to have that to offer to people through Christ is just, what a remedy, what what a, what a life changer that can be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you communicated beautifully in the book and also like too that uh, you don't mislead the reader and say everything hasn't been fine since, since that moment that you've you mm. share in the book. And as we talked on the last time you were on, uh, you came close to death twice. Very, yep. <laughs> you know, as you wrote the book, reset. And so, um, just sharing that, giving a realistic, you know, picture of the, the peace that the gospel offers, but not uh, just everything being completely fine this side of heaven. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, inner well, and and peace, even when. War is raging around you. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or a pandemic. Yes, for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, look, I wanted to jump back to something you said earlier, and that's, you know, technology, social media. Uh, there's been so much written uh, discussing some of the correlation between you know, technology, specifically social media platforms and anxiety and depression. I know you actually uh, wrote an article recently at churchleaders.com, just kind of talking about protecting our children um, uh, from just some of the digital addiction. And so maybe just talk to us specifically about some of the correlations that you've seen between anxiety and depression, and maybe offer some advice for for, uh, parents as well as youth workers here.
1: Yeah, John, I, I think the what I say is you will never help your, your, your kid will never get out of anxiety and depression until they get control of digital technology. And I'm not saying that's the only thing, uh, but it's a massive thing usually. And sometimes it's a cause, sometimes it's an effect of depression, and anxiety. It's like they get obsessed with this phone. And it's, I, I haven't seen any team recover without getting digital discipline in their lives. And so they've got a choice, and parents have got a choice. They can, they can stay in mental illness, or they can get mental health. And you know the pivot point is this device, and I think we've got to recognize this, this is a mental health destroyer. That's what we're giving our kids. Now, yes, it can do great good, you know it's not to deny that but you know on without teaching without guidance without mentoring without boundaries then we are we're we're basically saying here have some depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and i mean i have even i'm 54 and i have boundaries and controls that my wife helps me with and she has some i help her with i think we need this whatever age we're at we need accountability, we need to be watching out for one another. I mean, my, my wife will say to me at times, David, put it away, you know, and uh, we, you know, so we re-engage, we get the boundaries again. Uh, so I think the, the the seriousness of this has to get us and our children. Uh, there's This is not just Christians, this is secular people. You, you look at the people who are at the top levels of Apple, Facebook, Google, they do not let their teens have phones and control access to all digital devices because they design these things to control children and, and adults, but hopefully adults have got a little bit more self-control. And uh, so they know how dangerous it is. Christians obviously have extra motives And I I try to, I really do work today on just trying to help people out of self-interest get their digital habits under control. Because if you do, you're going to have a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a better mind. You're going to have a better uh, emotional life. You're actually going to have a healthier body overall. Your relationships will be better. You know, it's like the difference between not graduating from high school and going to Harvard. You know, the competitive advantage that you can get mentally, emotionally, relationally, vocationally from getting digital discipline in your life is immeasurable. And in terms of productivity and efficiency, fruitfulness, even just on 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 a secular financial level, it's just massive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why so many secular organizations are, are really working hard at this within their own institutions and companies, businesses. Um, and the church, I think as Christians, we have even more motives because you, you think of the damage it's doing to your spiritual relationship with God. Uh, so I think the seriousness of the situation working at this out of self-interest alone, but then also the spiritual motivation as well, which should be obviously our highest motive.
0: Mm. So many points I wanted to interrupt you. Just You're making so many good points uh, that I just yeah, want to applaud you on because its it's been alarming to me that it's not more alarming to parents, mm-hmm. as you, you said there, of getting the device and saying, hey, here you go, have some depression. Because, I mean, I think back to Jean Twenge's research and, and her mm-hmm. book, I, mm-hmm. I mean, the correlation is so <laughs> clear yep. Yep. Um, of what, what it's doing to our children. And as you said, I mean, as Christians, we're, we're thinking about this from a completely different perspective mm-hmm. and it does seem like the world has been leading in some ways. And I mean, just I think of Adam Alter's book and Irresistible and talking about all the, the Silicon Valley CEOs sending their children to uh, schools that prohibit technology mm-hmm. and, um, there's so much behind the design that's uh, created to just yeah keep this keep us addicted to it. Yeah, yeah. And so I apologize for uh, addressing that. And like you said, just the self interest. That's that's extra motivation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, John, you've you've written yourself about these things, you know, identity and fear. What what have your own findings shown you? What have you learned through it all?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, nothing really to add to what you've just said, other than just, I mean clearly seeing that in in the lives of teens that I've spoken to. I mean, personally from my own church, teens elsewhere. I mean, as I've uh, talked about insecurity, um, Mm. having teens come up kind of after those talks and share stories and just being so down, depressed. And uh, so much of it is just, uh, like you said, no boundaries at all on on the devices. And Mm. You know, you think of just the design of the endless scroll, and there's always okay, what's going to be next? There's got to be something else that's going to satisfy, and it's, you know, somewhat satisfying, but then not enough, and so the person just let their longing, um, you know, for something. So, so yeah, I I would just yeah affirm much of what you you've said there's there's something i wanted to bring up too again jumping back to to something that you said of kind of creating some resiliency i think was how you worded it there was an article on the gospel coalition recently um, entitled how things have changed reflections of a millennial pastor in a gen z world and he kind of shares the story of a professor not canceling the final exam for students in the midst of this covid uh, Mm -hmm. pandemic Mm -hmm. but then having to apologize later because he was causing anxiety among the students. And so that's an example that's you know, similar, I think, of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah. And there's many yeah. examples in there uh, that are similar to, to that story. And so how do we balance coddling our children in their anxiety and depression you know, or being you know, too insensitive on the other end of the spectrum? So mm-hmm. give us some, some advice mm-hmm. there.
1: Yeah, you've mentioned two books there that I would say are just essential reading. Absolutely. For every parent, every pastor. I, Jane by Gene Twenge, Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Hay and Greg, somebody, I can't remember his other
0: name. Yes. These two
1: books, like, you've just got to get them and read them if you want to understand this day, if you want to minister to teens, if you want to help your family. So, yeah, I think Hate's book on coddling is just phenomenal. And I think what he shows is, you know, we're extremists. So we go from one extreme... To the other. And the extreme he highlights is the overprotectiveness of parents towards their children as they come through middle school into high school. Um, like they must be sheltered, they must be protected from every possible threat, danger, possibility. They mustn't be allowed to fail, mustn't be allowed to make mistakes, um, mustn't be allowed to mess up. Everything's got to be just perfect, just right. And then they go to the other extreme of launching them out into college and the world of work. And they are completely unprepared. Mum and dad are no longer there. And so they start getting their precious little feelings hurt. And they get, get wounded. And there's no resilience. They've built up no thickness of skin. There's no defense. They are completely at the mercy of anyone and anything and therefore they try to continue this protectiveness around themselves with trigger you know warnings and safety zones and colleges where they won't have to encounter any ideas even they don't like never mind opposition and and this is so different to the idea of christian child rearing which is you know protection uh, that gradually prepares kids for leaving and and ideally cleaving to their, their husbands and wives. And that involves, you know, trust of God. And I think that's what's missing for a lot of parents of teens today, that this is why they're overprotecting them through these critical years where they should be learning how to protect themselves and how to cope with what they can't be protected from. Um, the Christian sees this and says, I can't do this. This is impossible for me. I'll do what I can, but then I'm gonna trust God. And I'm gonna let my kid make a mess at times. I'm gonna let them make mistakes and errors and relationships and buying cars and jobs. And you know, you've got to take your hands off and just let them sink at times. Not, you know, to the danger of their lives or whatever, but that's where faith comes in. Uh, But when that faith is missing, yeah, you're going to go to that extreme. And you leave your kids completely unprepared when they leave your
0: home. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot there. And, and even going back to the technology is <laughs> helicopter parents not trusting the sovereignty of God. That's why many of them are putting the device in the hands because they want to know where they are at any mm. given moment. And, you know, I'm not saying all of that is is bad, but there's mm. definitely some, some connection there. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, definitely, the, the importance of uh, preparing our children to to leave. Um, like there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about and talk, uh, you know, specifically about this issue. But as I draw this to a close, I'd love for you just to give a final word to our our listeners who may have someone in their life who is struggling with anxiety, depression, or they themselves may be struggling. Um, what what would you like to say to them, just kind of as a closing word?
1: Yeah, I think what I always like to say to people is have hope. Um, I'll put it this way, 99.9% of people with depression and anxiety who use all the means that God has provided get better. Okay, so I I framed that carefully. It's not like 100%, but it's almost. Mm -hmm. But you've got to use the means God provided, all of them you know, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, you know, I want to get better, but I'm not prepared to consider medication, or I'm not prepared to consider biblical counseling, or I'm not prepared to change, you know, my diets and my exercise or whatever, or I'm not prepared to change this damaging relationship. I can't help you. I'm sorry. Um, If if we use all the means God has provided, He heals. Mm -hmm. And... There's, there's not just that hope of healing, but hope of increased usefulness through these um, disorders. And that's the beautiful thing I've seen, you know, when you're in depression, anxiety, you think there's no hope, there's nothing out of this, my life's destroyed, I'm finished, you know, I'm a failure. No, it's actually, the, it, again, using God's means, trusting God, it can actually be the making of you, not the breaking of you. It makes you a much more sensitive person, a more caring person, a more compassionate person. Um, it, it gives you a humility and a wisdom that, that others don't have. And that's what Second Corinthians 1 talks about. We comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. And that's the beautiful thing. I see God, you know, like you think of the, the oyster, a little piece of sand goes inside of it and it's irritating and the oyster hates it and it begins to send out this coating to try and um, make it less irritating. But actually what happens is it becomes bigger with the coat that, and so they put out more, but it, again, it gets more irritating. So they put out more and what they're actually doing is they're making a pearl, mm. a beautiful, valuable pearl. Something that was like at the center of their life and that was so painful and so irritating eventually it's opened up and there's this beautiful valuable stone jewel that's what god can do with depression and anxiety
0: mm, yes yeah, so, that's so good there i mean just like you said leaving with hope i mean there's humility wisdom usefulness in god's kingdom through this and so that's a good good word to end on. Uh, Just a reminder to our listeners, the name of the books are Why Is My Teenager Feeling Like This? and Why Am I Feeling Like This? Both of those available through Crossway. You can get those at at Amazon. Dr. Murray, you've had a lot going on, especially as of late. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on the podcast today. And Lord willing, seeing you in in January.
1: I look forward to that very much. And thanks for the, I always love chatting with you. Uh, Thanks for doing such a great job. And pray that your podcast not just this one but all the ones you record will be a blessing to many young people
0: thank you so much have a good day
1: thank you you too oh
0: come and buy without money oh come and feast without